I appreciate so much Rachel's invitation to uh, obey what we talked about last week through kicking off our sandals. The, the, the message last week, the challenge last week, really coming from Exodus and the life of Moses was to, to throw off your sandals, to take off your sandals. And so, uh, you know, that, if you didn't know what was going on, that was what was going on. And so I, I like her mentality, though, kick off your shoes and stay a while, right? That's something we say, especially in the South, right? And so, you know, church should really be a fun, happening, family, hospitable place. And we want it to be like that. We really do. And my heart's desire is for that to be, you know, we're, we're not called to be stoic. We're not called to be uh, sticks in the mud. If you're living a holy life, that's something to be happy with because that is happiness. It's true happiness, true joy. And that should be spilling over even as the world bumps into us and crashes into us. That's what should spill out is happiness and holiness and joy. And so this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to two locations very briefly, just two or three verses here. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 3 will be the first location. And then Ephesians, if you'll just stick your finger in your Bible there and locate Ephesians chapter 5, which is just a little to the left uh, through the letters of Paul, a little to the left there, and we're going we're gonna to read those two uh, verses. Now, I want to say, just as an introduction, many people ask, especially, you know, preachers and, and other people that are wiser and older in age, not that preachers are wiser and older in age, but especially in my case, but they ask older people, they ask wiser people, they ask successful people uh, that are Christians, they ask this question, you hear it a lot, especially from, from teens, but even adults ask it, and that is, what is God's will? What really is God's will? What is He doing? Like, what is all this about? You know, all this church and singing and reading and trying to obey the command. What, what is this all about? What is Jesus about? What, what really is God's will? And it sounds like a very big question, and truly it is. What is God's will for you? What's His will for humanity? What's His will for you? And the Bible gives us a very clear answer, thankfully. Now, I will tell you this. The Bible makes you work for some answers. I mean, work hard. I mean, if you've been a part of our small groups before, especially the one we were doing on Wednesday nights where, where people were asking questions that they wanted answers and we were digging in the Scriptures, you know. We were, we were trying to look through the Scriptures and find... The Bible sometimes isn't as clear as we'd like it to be on certain things and it leaves room for us to have to do the work. And I think Jesus does that on purpose. Because He did it in His earthly life, didn't He? People ask Him a point-blank question, and He would turn it right back on them and say, well, what do you think about that? And then He would guide their discussion. And so, the Bible in some places are, is not as clear and cut as we would like it to be. But let me tell you something. On this issue of God's will for your life, the Bible is extremely, extremely clear. And I want to show you that starting in Ephesians and then working toward 1 Thessalonians. Notice this Ephesians 5. And of course, if you've ever read Paul, you know there's no good place to jump into a letter of Paul. I mean, it's like watching a 30-minute like 
you know, drama on television and you're jumping in 20 minutes in. You're going to be as lost as a goose in a hailstorm. And so we, uh, we're just going to have to do it, though. I hate to do it, but we're going to have to jump in here at verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 5. Notice what is said here. Actually, forgive me, but back up to 15. I just can't help myself. Look carefully, look carefully then how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. Because the days are evil. Amen? I think we can put an amen there, can't we? Verse 17. Therefore, and when the Bible says therefore, you know, you always want to look what it's there for, right? So therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Go to 1 Thessalonians, if you will. Chapter 4 and verse... Forgive me, but let's back up to one. (laughs) Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you. Listen to Paul's voice. And by the way, he loves the Thessalonians. They, They are doing fantastic as a church. This is a church that was a success story for Paul. Much unlike the the Corinthians. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Let us pray. Jesus, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the clarity that is brought about in Your Word. We pray, Lord, before Your Holy Spirit even speaks to our hearts, we say to You, yes. We say to You, yes and amen, Lord, to whatever it is that You want to do or say or accomplish in our lives. We say, yes. In Your name, amen. The will of God. He says two things here very clearly. This is the will of God for your life. Be filled with the Spirit. Be sanctified. Now, in our own times, we... Let me say it this way. Something is wrong. In other words, we are majority Christian on paper in America. And yet, according to the world, other countries, not so Christian. According to even our own church attendance and participation, not very Christian. In our morals and ethics, not very Christian. We could go down the list item by item. So something is wrong, and I'm convinced it's because we don't know what God's will is for us. We're searching around for all kinds of different things. We're trying to clean up the outside without the inside being cleaned up. 
You know, last week, as I mentioned, we broke down coming back from Michigan in our van. And uh, had you have gone past us on the side of the road, other than a bunch of children sitting in the grass on the side of the interstate, you would have thought, wow, that's a pretty nice looking little van. Volkswagen, hmm? We, we get it a lot, you know. That's a little Volkswagen. Okay, that's pretty cool. I didn't even know they made a Volkswagen van anymore, you know. And it's nice and red and fairly cleaned up. Uh, and, you know, on the outside, it looked fantastic. Like it maybe just even come off the lot. But it wasn't running. We weren't going anywhere fast. And that's a problem. You know what? In our Christian life, oftentimes we're polishing the outside. We're trying to work on the behavior. Be good people because that's what we feel like we've been told. That's what we feel like God's will for us is. is just to kind of cover up the bad stuff. Make sure nobody's really seeing that. The kids aren't seeing it. Maybe the wife's not seeing it or the husband. And we try to clean up the outside. But the inside is dead. That's a problem. That's a big problem. Because you can be all nice and cleaned up on the outside. But God wants to work on the inside. You see, we had water pump problems along with my thermostat that I ended up having to replace uh, along with my serpentine belt that also got messed up and ripped up and chewed up in the process of breaking down. And you know what? I've seen it many, many times. Young people go to youth camp. They experience Jesus in a powerful way. And they come back, start trying to walk that out, and they become shipwrecked. Somehow it gets off course. I've seen Christians, adults, that have been in church for years and years and years, still trying to rely on something that happened many years ago rather than a new experience with Jesus. And what we end up doing in our Christian life is just trying to polish up the outside. We think that's all God wants is for us to look like we're a Christian. Thankfully, He doesn't have in there how He dressed. Jesus, that is. Because if He was wearing Nike sandals, by golly, we're going to wear Nike sandals as Christians. But He never gives us a description of what He wore. I think it's on purpose. I don't think we'll ever find His shroud or any of His clothing. It's on purpose. We'd worship it. And we must worship the Lord and not the things on the outside. You know, as funny as it is and as crazy as it is, sometimes the way that I try to show my love for Jessica is by working hard. You know what I mean? I'm like, babe, I really want to show her today that I love her. Look at all this work I've done, you know? Look at all this stuff I'm trying to do. I'm sacrificing my time. To, yeah, and I try to show. You know what Jessica wants, and it's crazy, because I know you don't want it. I don't even want it most of the time. She wants me. It's nuts. I don't even want me all the time, you know? I would like to get away from me sometimes. But she actually wants me, not just the house that I might be able to provide, or the car, fixing the car, or doing these things. She would actually forego all those things for me. You know what? That's the same kind of thing God is concerned with, is you. Not what you can do for Him. Little hint here, you really can't do much for Him. You're not really in a position to do much for Him. Sometimes I will tell my children, come help me 
with the grass or doing something outside or fixing the car, changing the oil in the car, right? I just want to spend some time with them, right? Do they contribute, really, to what I'm doing? No, 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 they don't. They actually slow me down most of the time, you know. But they can come in and say, Mom, I helped Dad change the oil in the car. You know what? God puts His arm around us, I see, and He says, Marshall, I want you to come help me fix the oil. Fix, do, you know, change out the oil in the car. I want you to help me do this at church. I want you to help me do this in somebody's life. And you know what? All my answer really has to be is yes. He's going to do the work. Amen. I've just got to be willing to sit there with Him and hold the flashlight, if you will. I mean, my job as a pastor is to hold the flashlight up to God to point you to Jesus. I don't have all the answers. I don't. Kids think parents have all the answers. They're in for a rude awakening, aren't they? We're just as confused as they are sometimes, but we don't act like it. That's okay. It's all right. It's okay to be confident, but it's not okay to deceive yourself. And Jeremiah will say, the heart is deceitful above all things. Your heart, my heart, can deceive even us. Listen, if you've been trying and trying and trying just to be a good person, just to clean up and polish the outside, I'm telling you, that's not God's will for your life. Amen. You and God are not on the same page. You're going off this way, trying to polish yourself up, make yourself look better, be moral, be a good person, whatever that even means. God is getting down to the heart of the matter, the internals of the vehicle, and He wants to change it there. Now, some of us think that we just look like we come off the lot as far as a vehicle. When in fact, if we really put a mirror to it, which is the Word of God, is called a mirror, we'd, we'd be quite a jalopy, you know. Quite the hoopty, if you will, coming off the lot. We don't look as good. We haven't polished it up as well as we really think we have. Because we deceive ourselves and we try to deceive others. You know, it's funny. When you look through Scripture, there's this big argument, and we're not getting into it now, but I will let you be aware of it even, even if we can't get all the way into it. But there's this thing of what does God do? What do we do? Right? How much do we do in this? Do we even do anything? Or does God just all, does He do everything? Or do we do everything? Of course, neither one of those positions are right because it's a relationship. And in relationships, there's a mutuality, a reciprocity, a give and a receive. And as I've already stated, even though we don't have much to give, we have ourself. Isn't this what the Scripture requires of us? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, for you are not your own. And even in presenting it, it's still by God's grace. It's always this thing of, did you catch in our reading? By faith, by faith. I had you keep repeating that on purpose. Because it's all by faith in His grace. It's not our doing. He's already set the whole thing up. He undergirds the entire process. All we do is say, yes and amen. But the Scripture is clear that we can say no. That we can turn away. That we can become shipwrecked. All throughout the New Testament, Paul warns his different churches. 
not to fall away, not to turn away, not to give up, to keep pressing forward. If He's warning them, there's a real danger. High voltage is not posted. Warning, high voltage is not posted unless there's high voltage. We can say, no, the Scripture is very clear that we can quench the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. Notice the personal nature of the Spirit. He can be grieved. Just as we would grieve a lover, a brother, a sister, a family member, so too God can be grieved because of our negligence because of our resistance, because of our deception. Our only response is to be obedient to Him. To say yes and amen. And it's very important at times to obey. Now I'm not saying that sometimes necessarily are more important than others, but I am saying this. God gives some very clear opportunities for us that if they're bypassed there are points in our life that could go off the tracks in a bad, bad way. In other words, some of you may be at one of those crossroads where you've got to make a decision to go with God or not. Sometimes it's very serious how you respond to God because His presence comes very near in certain circumstances, in certain services, in certain days where when you reject that, you're rejecting Him face to face in a more powerful way than your normal rejections. I want you to, I want you to know this may be one of those days. I'm not saying it is for you, but it may be. And I, and I really feel in my spirit it is for some. I told you the story a few weeks back and I just I have to tell it again. Um, when the tornadoes came through in 2011, Jessica was very clear with the boys. They were young, just the two older ones, and then uh, Bo was a baby, to obey her exactly, exactly what she said. And they, yes, ma'am, yes, ma'am. And as those storms rolled through, as those tornadoes rolled through, I mean, they were, they were nervous. They wanted to do exactly what she said. And so the time came, the EF5 was coming through. I saw a black wall, and, you know, I said, I said okay, guys, it's time. Let's go. You know, and so Jessica turned to Jackson. You know, get in the tub, baby, get in the tub. Let's go, because we had made a <clears throat> makeshift shelter there. And uh, she turns back around to do something, grab the baby, and he turns around, and, she, and he's completely naked, you know. Uh, and she's like, son, what are you doing? He said, you told me to get in the tub, you know. And uh, <clears throat> the only way he knew to get in the tub was to be naked. And so in that moment, we're trying to get him dressed as, as we're trying to get under the shelter of the tub. But it reminded me, it reminded me that it is very serious that we do exactly what God says. And even though our obedience, listen to me, this is very important. Even though our obedience is not always perfect, that's okay. He just wants us to obey. We may not know how to change the oil or rotate the tires, but He does. All we got to do is just hold the light. Isn't that what we're called to be? Be light, not be experts. Hold the light. And listen, in times of darkness, and I, would, I think we could all sort of agree, we are in a time of darkness. Amen. As terror sweeps the world, 
as the landscape politically looks bleak, to say the least, it's dark times. It's time to hold the light. He doesn't ask us to figure out the world problems. He doesn't ask us to do these big things. All He asks for you to do today is take off your sandals and worship Him. Obey Him. Hold your light. might not be the brightest light, but it's bright compared to the darkness that's raining. <laughs> oh, some of you want to kick me for this, but in the Lord of the Rings, <laughs> as the shadow of Mordor falls over Middle Earth, there's an unseen hand that is at work in Middle Earth. Never even talked about. God's never even mentioned in the book, and yet... Things are happening on point. People are being called to certain jobs. They're not awesome jobs necessarily. Especially Frodo who ends up saving the world, sacrificing himself. Sound familiar? It's not some big thing he's doing. He's offering himself. That's, I mean, that's, that's Frodo's big secret to the whole world. He offers himself. You know what? God, His will for your life is today offer yourself to Him. We're in a marriage with Him, right? God is not going to force Himself upon you. He's a gentleman when it comes to that. But when we offer ourselves to Him, He will come and fill us Do you see how the imagery is from Him? It's not accidental. The imagery of marriage, He's the one who developed that. Created that. Beautiful process. Fun process. Pleasing action. He did that. And it's a picture, He says, of our relationship to Him. The Christian life is not one of us just trying to be good. If you think that's what being a Christian is, there is a whole nother door that you've not opened yet. Amen. And that's what we're going to open the next few weeks as we move into August and into September. Is the will of God for your life, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, is your sanctification. And the way that I want to sort of overview this thing, and we're not going to be here long today with this. We've got more to come. It's two by two. I just want you to remember two by two. In other words, God wants to do a two by two in your life, if you will. That is, He wants to save you, as we often say, born again, justify, regenerated. It's all kind of new birth. There's all kind of names for it. He wants to save you from your sins. In other words, we're filled with sin. He wants to save you. He wants to wipe that away. He wants to justify you, declare you righteous. But you know what else He wants to do? He wants to fill you with His Spirit. Yes. He wants to sanctify you entirely. Paul, if you continue reading 1 Thessalonians, his final prayer for them, and he prays about three or four times in the epistle. He just breaks out into praying. 
At the end, he says, I pray that you're entirely sanctified, body, soul, and spirit. Entire sanctification. You say, well, I thought just coming down and praying and getting my sins together, I thought that was it. Man, were you wrong. (laughs) There is more to the Christian life than being forgiven and stuck sinning. There's victory. Do you believe that? There is victory in the name of Jesus and He offers us a salvation that is not weak. We act like sin is the strongest thing in the world. God is stronger. The cross is stronger. And His Holy Spirit can live within us, empowering us to live victorious. To be true to Him. To be a true lover of Him and not of this world. Truly, we cannot love the world and love God at the same time. Many are stuck just with week after week asking God to forgive them anew for things that He can heal. You say, I don't know. I just don't, I don't think that's possible. I don't think I, I can't do that. I can't give that up. As my dad used to say, can't, never could do anything but fall in a ditch and die. <laughs> I don't know where he came up with that one, but you know. I tried to look it up on Google too and I couldn't find it, so it must have been truly from him. <laughs> um, we say can't and God says we can. Amen. Do you really want to be released from that sin? Because I know there is healing power in the name of Jesus. Not just to forgive, but to heal us. To fill us up completely. You know, it's crazy. When the Israelites, they left Egypt, you know, it's a picture of justification. It's a picture of new birth. A nation was literally being born out of bondage. In other words, they were in bondage in Egypt. God delivered them out with mighty signs and wonders. Said, I now call you to be my people. My special people. My unique people. Peculiar people. And He called them out into the desert. And you know what? They disobeyed Him, wandered in the desert for 40 years, and as they were wandering, I read it again this week, they said, you know what? We so wish we were back in Egypt eating the meat in that pot with onions and this and that. We just have this stupid manna that You're giving us out here in the desert. We really wish we were just back in Egypt. You know what strikes me about that? They would trade food. Slavery. You want to be back in Egypt? Really? To be a slave under the thumb of the Pharaoh rather than to be free with the King of Kings? Don't we, don't I make the same choice from time to time? Food over God, entertainment over God, media over God. I'm convinced that every one of us in our house more than likely have set up our living rooms and and sitting areas to worship this little black box (laughs) called a television. I really think if all of us died all of a sudden here in Madison and Huntsville and sociologists came in a hundred years later to study us, they would say, boy, they really worshipped and oriented their entire house toward this thing, this box of a thing. I wonder what kind of powerful God that would be. I think some of us need to be freed. 
But one thing we'll discover once we're free, once we're out of Egypt, so to speak, is that yes, we're out of Egypt. Yes, we're out of the bondage of the Pharaoh, the devil, if you will. But what we find working in us is that Egypt is still in us. We've left Egypt, geographically speaking. But Egypt, we find, we still long for it. God cleansed them. It took exile, but he freed them from their idolatry and their longing for Egypt. He fixed the problem. In other words, they never, you realize that today Jews are one of the three monotheistic faiths that are idol smashers. They never returned again to the idolatry of Egypt, even though they had a problem with it throughout the whole Old Testament. After the exile, they're freed. Transferred over to the New Testament. When we become a Christian, we're free. We get all of the Holy Spirit. He gives us all of the Holy Spirit. And yet, the Holy Spirit does not have all of us. We still find in us a struggle to want the world, to want God. Romans 7 is the best illustration of that struggle. But you know what? Romans doesn't end with Romans 7. It ends with chapter 8, which is life in the Spirit. Paul at the end of 7 says, Who can deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God in Christ Jesus. And then he goes right into, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Spirit, life in the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Your plan, the plan that God has for you, His will for you is to be filled with the Spirit. That has to happen after you're saved. After the light starts shining in there because you don't even know how bad it is until He gets in there and starts working. And then when He says, hey, can I go in this door? You say, no, 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 no. Not that door. Look, He has to have total ownership. That's what we mean when we, when we say Jesus is Lord. That's the kind of lordship we're talking about. Not some kind of cheap lordship. Two movements and two moments. Or two moments and two movements. The first moment is being, being born again. Justified. Saved. Whatever you want to call it. The second is sanctified entirely. Filled with the Spirit. Baptized in the Spirit. There's all kinds of names. We're going to look at these over the next few weeks. We're going to look at the Scriptures and see what it has to say about that. But there's two moments where God does a work by His grace. It happens in a moment you are forgiven. In a moment you are freed. In a moment you are filled. But after each of those moments, there's a movement. There's a process. There's a time of maturation of maturing in Christ, of growing in Christ. There's a point where you walk through the door. And it may not be as clear as it was for me on February 28, 1999, 8.30 at night when the Lord sanctified me entirely and set me apart, cleansed me from that pride that I had in my heart, the selfishness that was there, because that is the identifying feature of being filled with the Spirit, is love. Amen. Love for God, love for others. That's why Wesley called this thing of entire sanctification, he called it perfect love. Perfect love. 
And just like a child that doesn't do everything right all the time, but has a perfect heart in doing it, God says, that's what I long for is to be blameless. For you to be blameless. For you to be working out of a heart of love and not a longing for the world. Not a longing for Egypt. He can do that. And then even after entire sanctification, there is more growth. So you have a moment when you are born again. And then a movement toward being filled with the Spirit. You get all of the Spirit at, at, when you're saved. But He doesn't have yet all of you. Let me, let me put it this way because it can become a little confusing. And, and, and some of the language even in the New Testament is hard to put together. And I, I'm going to simplify it with a, with a child. My own child, Jackson, came back from camp and he said this to me. We were sitting there in the living room and he said, Daddy, did you know that I gave Jesus my heart? I said, oh, buddy, that, that's, that's awesome, man. Uh, wow. And I was thinking the whole time, well, he already did that at five. You know, he, he prayed for Jesus to come into his heart. And, and so I said, you know, hey, that is awesome. I, I even asked Jesus to fill me. You know, to, I give Jesus my heart often. Um, you know, again and anew, every single day, just as I give my heart to Jessica, I renew that all the time. So should you with your spouse, so should you with your friends, renew that love. You ever notice how love has to be nurtured? It doesn't just happen. And I said, I said, well, buddy, you know, at five, you know, you asked Jesus into your eyes. He said, oh, I know. I said, well, what, what, what do you mean then by Giving Jesus your heart, he means, I, well, I gave him all my heart. I think that's what the moment is. The moment is Jesus comes into us, yes, when we're saved. When we are justified, regenerated, born again, new birth. But sometime later, we have to turn around and reciprocate and give him our whole heart. We don't even know the depths of sin that has its <coughs> claws in us. We're going to look at the depth of sin in a couple weeks. It's deep, but His grace is deeper. Amen. His power is greater. Yes. But we have to be willing today. Today is the day of salvation. Yes. Do not delay. Act just as He says. May not be perfect. May not look good. May look, look like Jackson on 2011, you know, at the bathtub. May look like that, but not physically, but you understand, spiritually speaking. It may be a mess up, but you know what? When we give him our heart from a true heart, from an honest position, he's going to fill us with his Holy Spirit. He can do that. He can do that. He can not only deliver us out of the bondage of Egypt, but he can get Egypt out of us. That's the only place he's taking us, you realize. That's what heaven is. Heaven is not a longing for the world, but things that are greater than the world. That's what he's offering today to us right here, right now. Will you respond this morning by saying, yes. Yes, Lord. Amen.